Hi there. Welcome to episode number 16 of the Brand the Interpreter podcast. If you've been with me since the beginning, I want to take this moment to thank you for being a part of this community. My only hope is that we continue to grow together. If you're joining me for the first time, welcome home. Well, at least consider it your go-to place for all things related to language professionals. In honor of International Translation Day, I'd like to dedicate this podcast to each and every one of you language professionals out there. Know that the work you do helps to make this world a better place. Even if it doesn't feel that way sometimes, you are. We're all a pebble in a vast ocean, but even a pebble creates a ripple. Today we celebrate this beautiful profession. Today we celebrate you. Happy International Translation Day. Today's episode brings us Rafa Lombardino. Rafa Lombardino is a Brazilian translator and journalist who has been living in California since 2002. She is the author of Tools and Technology in Translation, The Profile of Beginning Language Professionals in the Digital Age, published in 2004, and based on her class by the same name. She started working as a translator in 1997, is certified by the American Translators Association for English Portuguese and Portuguese English, and has a professional certificate in translation from the University of California San Diego Extension for Spanish to English, where she started teaching in 2010. Her additional combinations are Spanish-Portuguese, Italian-Portuguese, and Italian-English. She is the president and CEO of Word Awareness, a network of professional translators established in 2004 and incorporated in 2009. She is also a Prose.com instructor, having presented more than 20 webinar sessions and serves as the blog editor and administrator of ATA's Portuguese Language Division, PLD. She has an associate's degree in computer sciences, emphasis on data processing, and a bachelor degree in social communications, major in journalism. She specializes in technology, corporate communications, human resources, education, environment, health and safety, health and well-being, tourism, audiovisual, and literature. So, without further ado, here's Rafa Lombardino. Rafa, welcome. Thank you for accepting my invitation to be a guest on the Brandy Interpreter podcast. Let's take a moment to chat, shall we? Share with us your story. Hi, my name is Rafa Lombardino, and this is my story. Well, I have always been um, crazy about languages and learning and new expressions and just learning how people communicate. And uh, it's only natural that uh, I would start working as a translator. So, um, I started studying English when I was 11 and uh, then added Spanish and Italian later. And I just, because of fate, I came to California. My husband is from here. We met, got married. I moved here and uh, the rest is history. I just been doing this for 23 years, been working as a translator. So uh, it's something that uh, I just don't know what else I could be doing in life. It's just something that I really love. Um, even though my past life, I, I have a technical degree in computers 
And then I have um, a journalism degree. That's what I went for college. I incorporated those two things into my life, but I don't see myself doing anything else but translating. I just really, really love it. Rafa, share with us where you grew up. I grew up in Santos, a small city in Sao Paulo State in Brazil. So if you know anything about soccer, that's where Pelé used to play. Um, and it's a small town, a beach town. And uh, I just grew up in a monolingual family. We all speak Portuguese. But like I said, when I found out when I was 11 in fifth grade that there was actually, you know, English books that I could learn the language, I just begged my parents to enroll me in a special class after school program to actually learn more about it. And uh, I just grew up kind of like feeling isolated a little bit because I remember telling my parents, I can think in English as I was studying and learning more and I didn't have anyone to talk to. So uh, later on when I was uh, teaching English to um, children four to 40 years old, I found some other people that also were passionate about it. I could speak to them a little bit in practice. So uh, it was only, you know, when I got to teach English that I kind of met my peers, other people that were passionate about it. And from then on, I started translating as well. So uh, I've been just surrounded by language all that time. But moving here to California definitely changed things a lot because then I was uh, surrounded by people speaking my other language and then got in contact with international communities and people from all over the world. So it's just a fascinating uh, universe to be part of. Let's go back a little bit to when you were 11 and took an interest in the English language. Was that elementary or middle school age out in Brazil? Well, uh, things have changed and I'm definitely going to be dating myself if I use the terms that I used to use back then. But I believe that it would, it would be around middle school then because there was a transition from fourth grade to fifth grade, definitely. We were adults then at 11 years old in fifth grade. Yeah. Um, but I would say that in Brazil, we pretty much have English as a default language and it's something that is a little more recent. It's in my lifetime. Back when my parents were in school in the 60s, uh, French was um, more of a second language, had that status. Uh, I mean, uh, French was the, the language that they would learn at school, sometimes even a little bit of Latin. I remember my parents talking about it. And then English became more of a strong, had more of a strong presence as a second language in Brazil. So when I came along, that was the default language uh, you would have in school. And I would say that you start from, you know, as soon as you go to school, from preschool, from kindergarten, you have English classes in your program. But it's very um, laid back, uh, not just when you were little, a little kid, but all the way through uh, high school and college. It's always like something that you must take English classes so you can do well when you look for a job. But unfortunately, the, the teaching style and the, the system as a whole is really, really weak because... It's just mostly based on books only. Uh, I had a lot of teachers, not just at regular school, but the language program that I had after school that unfortunately had no knowledge of the language. And I mean, bad pronunciation, bad grammar. So um, a lot of people just 
get lost in the system. If they, they are passionate about the language, they may not have a lot of opportunities to develop it. I'm just hard-headed and I'm a huge nerd. So I would just go home and study on my own. I would just finish my homework, you know, get it out of the way. And then my pastime was just, you know, studying English. And I think that's why uh, uh, a lot of people say that I'm a survivor from uh, that system. Because especially the English school that I, that I went to, uh, we can just uh, count on our fingers how many people graduated from that school that actually now know English. So um, it's, it's always there. It's always part of the school system in our lives as students. But unfortunately, yeah, unless you really work hard by yourself and put in the time, we can't say that everybody speaks English in Brazil, unfortunately. Yeah, and I think it also has to do with the person, right? Even with the deficiencies it may have had or the curriculum may have had, it still created this intrigue in you or it helped to plant this seed at an early age that it's something that you would like to continue, that you wanted to continue and that you enjoyed. And so you pushed yourself as an individual to continue learning. You mentioned that at one point you begin to teach to a wide range of ages. Yes. What inspired this desire? Was it your thinking of there has to be a better way to teaching or was this your way of practicing as in you learn more by doing? What do you think? Well, um, I was just looking for a job and I just thought, what can I do? I had recently get, got a, an associate's degree because um, it's part of the technical high school program that I went to. So it was a, a two-year degree in computers. So I had my resume to try to work somewhere related to computers. And I had the English program that I had finished. So that was the other skill that I had. So I had two resumes and I was just going around mostly to elementary and middle schools and handing out my resume, maybe trying to teach computers or English. And then I went to this one language school that fortunately uh, they were great. The directors were great. They spoke English perfectly and fluently. And they interviewed some people that, you know, we had maybe a group of 10 that went down to five to two and I got the job. So I was really happy to be my first job right off out of high school was uh, teaching English as a second language. And I had classes with four-year-olds, which was just a blast because they have no filter, which is great when you're learning languages. I could just turn to them and say the whole sentence in English. Can you give me the, the blue pencil? And they would just remember blue pencil. Oh, okay. And grab it. And sometimes I would turn to a teenager or uh, an adult and say the same thing casually like that. And they would just freeze. And it's because of the filters of how four-year-olds just, they're there to have fun. They don't care. But then, you know, older kids, uh, teenagers and adults, they just have that moment that they just freeze like, oh, I don't understand every single thing you're saying. So I don't know what to do. And I was able to just have that overview of how people interacted with uh, English, in this case, with languages. And it was just fascinating as, you know, a teenager myself, I was 17 when I started teaching. And I was able to just uh, not only learn how people learn languages, but then reflect about how I learned it and how I could improve. So uh, preparing for classes, reading all the paperwork that I had to go through to uh, know exactly what I was teaching to each grade. It was something that just reinforced all the information I had in my head 
from being an English learner and then actually improve myself. So it was just uh, just right place, right time. My very first job out of high school um, during my transition over going to college because I um, took a sabbatical for one year and only worked as an English teacher before I went into uh, college. So uh, that was something that really helped me as um, a teacher, as an educator, and also as uh, someone that just lives through languages. So it was perfect. In a recent book that I just read that was originally written actually in Portuguese and later translated to Spanish, the author, Ewandro Magalhães, I hope you give me credit, Ewandro, for at least trying to pronounce your last name. Anyway, he talks about what is it that we're truly afraid of? And he's specifically talking about the field of interpreting. And he states, is it truly that we fear our inability to perform, like in the case of your older students, or is it rather our fear of being ridiculed? I feel that I know the answer to this, but I'll leave it subject to interpretation for our listeners. Okay, so Rafa, later you make a move to California and you find yourself seeking employment. What was the inspiration behind becoming an independent contractor or talk to us how that all came to be? So I actually started teaching around the same time I started, um, I started translating at the same time I started teaching because people would go to the language school I was uh, working and they would say, oh, you guys deal with English. Can you translate this for me? So it would be sometimes articles for someone who is in college and needs to write a paper or it's uh, love letters, just a variety of topics that people would show up at school and say, hey, can it, anyone help me here? And everybody would pass. Yeah, the other teachers, the directors are like, yeah, I don't have time for that. I'm too busy teaching. And I'll be like, yeah, I, I can do that. So I would just always take that as, you know, a little uh, gig on the side. Wait a and minute, did you say love letters? Yes, even love letters. Oh, oh, yeah, definitely. I mean, I'm talking about 98. So the internet is picking up in Brazil, uh, emails back and forth. And yes, people were just, you know, um, corresponding with people on the other side of the world. And then English was the communication that they had. So yeah, it was from uh, technical articles to people um, in college trying to write a paper to love letters that people would say, okay, I just got this letter and it's a little too complicated for me to understand what my potential boyfriend or girlfriend is saying. Yes, it's just everything that fell on my lap. I was like, yes, I'll do it. I'll do it. So uh, the internet was picking up and we had that kind of demand now that people were finding stuff online that they needed for work or for school or for their potential love life, uh, being pen pals with uh, someone on the other side of the world. So, so your translations may have potentially led to someone's marriage? <laughs> I have no idea. I hope so. Um, at least uh, some uh, great uh, stories probably came out of that. Right. Uh, I never followed up on it. I just did my job, just, you know, stuck to the script. Okay, that's what they're saying. Uh, I hope nobody broke up because of me. <laughs> but <laughs> yeah, it was just fascinating. I would just, I well, I kept taking those little gigs because my main job was to uh, uh, work as a teacher, but I would do translation on the side. And it was only a year later when I started college that I was like, hey, I can actually do this for a living. And uh, it's because I had um, in journalism school, we had this class called the Instrumental English. 
And it was mostly to get young translators to be able to read something in English, get the main information, and rewrite the story in Portuguese. And uh, our teacher actually was an American who lived in Brazil for a long time. Uh, and he noticed that I wasn't using the dictionary as much and I wasn't translating you know, word for word, I was really rewriting it. I was already doing what the, the, the class was set out to do uh, to help a young journalist with that. And luckily, he was a, a professor at night and he was a translator in the morning. He had a, a translation agency with his wife. She took care of all the paperwork. She was uh, from business school background. And he, being an American in Brazil, speaking perfect Portuguese, he was the one that worked with the translations uh, himself. So uh, they kind of took me under their wing and she helped me out understand how it was possible to have a business as a translator. And he showed me how you can just work as a translator for a living, not something that you have to do on the side as a, a second activity. Actually, translating was his main activity and uh, teaching was like his side gig at night. And that's when I realized, oh, okay, so it, it's something that I can uh, develop and really do for myself. And coming to California, even though I tried to uh, find a job as a writer, as a journalist, I, I was already translating, so I just kept doing it and never looked back. And so you begin this new journey in a new country and immersed in new cultures. And yes, cultures, because you are in California after all. Yes. <laughs> um, and at some point, you decide that being an independent contractor is the way to go, right? So what happened? Walk us through what was the inspiration behind becoming an independent translator? Well, um, I, did, I never applied for a job as an in-house translator that I can remember, really. So I just kept doing what I was doing of trying to get small jobs here and there to work as a translator. And it just went from there that um, I first classify myself as a as a freelancer because I was transitioning, like you said, into a new country, getting all the paperwork done, you know, immigration, all that craziness. And uh, that was the right after September 11th. So um, what happened was that a lot of the immigration processes were really a mess with uh, the creation of a new system, a new department. So I was in limbo for a while and just all I could do is freelance because I couldn't get a job anywhere. I was waiting for the paperwork to go through. And then finally, when things uh, settle a little bit and uh, all the transition from an immigrant wife of an American citizen to a permanent resident actually came true, I was able to create my own business. So um, I, I was like, I can actually do this for a living, so I should um, make it official, not just be seen as a freelancer, but be seen as a business owner. And um, thankfully, I, a lot of, I had a lot of classes in business when I was going through my uh, technical high school associates program in computers because they would prepare you to uh, work at a large corporation, you know, with computers. So they had that basic fundamentals that they wanted to teach students. And I remember all those, you know, company, organization, entrepreneurial 
kind of classes. And I just put that all into action of how I am going to make this a, a business that can work and be sustainable. And fast forward of 18 years. Yeah. So I, I have my own company. I'm an employee of that company. So I'm not seen as a freelancer, uh, especially now in California when we have AB5, which is a law that uh, really is tying the hands of a lot of uh, independent workers of what we can do as freelancers. So uh, luckily, I, I didn't anticipate this, but I already had my company all set up. And I, I'm not classified as a freelancer anymore, even though I do have the freedom to work with whoever I want, whenever I want. It's just under a business name, which is Word Awareness. And with that, I was able to just hire colleagues that would help me expand the business and then keep them busy uh, translating into their own languages. So um it just went really from something that, oh, this is what I know how to do to, oh, this is what we can do together. And it's it's been working for 18 years now. Yeah, fascinating. Share with the listeners the multiple hats you wear, Rafa, because you are a business owner currently, but you do so many other things. Share with us what those other things are, please. Yes, uh, it's exhausting, <laughs> but I think that's what uh, we all do when either freelancing or having our own business as uh, translators and interpreters, that's what we do. We have to not only take care of the translation and interpreting projects ourselves, but we have to take care of business by you know, invoicing our clients, so learn a little bit of uh, accounting and um, organizing ourselves and marketing ourselves, so we have to all uh, wear so many hats. And uh, on top of that, I also teach. I never left that uh, teaching uh, gig on the side because I, I just went from trans from uh, teaching English to teaching translation. So I teach at um, UC San Diego Extension, and they have a program for translators and interpreters. And I went through that program, actually. It was my uh, first uh, attempt to get a degree or any kind of certificate as a translator. And once I finished it, they said, we really need something that has more of a practical side to translation because they do have, they already had a very solid program for English and Spanish, um, not just with language, but also specialization, business class and legal, medical, and even the interpreting side that I don't touch it because I'm not an interpreter at all. But then they were like, we need something that is going to be more practical so people can just finish our program and start working right away for themselves, not looking for a job, being an in-house translator, interpreter. So I started teaching with them 10 years ago, and I added that to one of the hats that I wear, uh, being a translation teacher also. And um, within translation, I work with different uh, specializations. So that's also something that I had to just learn how to uh, incorporate it, not just with the computer translation. So working with IT, uh, more of the business co communication, working with journalism. But I've been subtitling, I've been transcribing, I've been doing voiceovers because I also have training in radio because of uh, journalism school. So it's like, yeah, it's a lot of things that I do. It's a bit of a balancing act and um, it is exhausting, like I said, but I just, I love it. I wouldn't have it any other way. Yeah. And it sounds so much fun. Albeit, it makes for a much busier life, but busier doing something you love. Yes. Rafa. 
What would you say has been your biggest challenge in your career? And what do you think it taught you? <sighs> My biggest challenge, I think it's been what we all go through is just trying to stay sustainable. And uh, uh, it's finding the balance between the, the feast and famine. Uh, when is my next project going to come from? Um, so I think that the biggest challenge is just to keep applying for projects and trying to find new clients. I mean, five minutes before uh, uh, I joined you so we could have this conversation, I was still sending my resumes out. So it's just this constantly, it's this uphill battle of trying to find a, a new client and make sure that you get those clients that will send you enough jobs through the week or through the month to keep it sustainable. But that's not anything that, you know, only applies to me. We all go through that. Um, I think language wise, my biggest challenge has been well, so far definitely translating the memoirs of a Holocaust survivor uh, is just huge responsibility and something that is just uh, will always be with me of translating that book and just uh, it was the biggest challenge and something that I'll always look back on of how much it taught me of being responsible of giving someone's voice in another language. So um I think that pretty much that's what I can summarize. This is business part is trying to just keep the business afloat and keep something sustainable going so we can just, you know, make a living, pay the bills. But language wise, I mean, really with the translation, it has been um, that one translation of a uh, non-fictional book when you have uh, so much uh, responsibility of honoring someone's uh, memories for sure mm, yeah being a part of something that is so intimate can always leave an impression behind right yes rafa how have things turned out differently from how you imagined they would turn out wow it's funny because um looking back i i don't think that i was one of those kids that would say oh when i grow up i want to be this or do that i think i was just I don't know, maybe daydreaming a lot, <laughs> too busy uh, trying to daydream uh, in English. And uh, it just, uh, it's funny how it, it just became my life, right? Because that's uh, how I make a living. That's part of my personal life. I, if I didn't speak English, I would have never met my husband and got married. So it's just uh, funny of how um, how things turn out. So I, I can't really remember from an early age um, having those thoughts. But definitely when I was uh, in college, I was like, okay, I think that's it. I'll be just a, a, a journalist and I'll live by myself. I'll probably have cats because I'm a little bit of afraid of dogs. And uh, I'll just be this, um, you know, lonely journalist who probably become bitter. <laughs> and I just, I had all my life planned out at 20. And then right before my 21st birthday, I met my husband, well, my soon-to-be husband, and everything changed. So uh, I think that's the only point in my life that I was like, okay, okay, I see how life is going to be. I would just be this journalist translating on the side and, you know, lonely. And then I met my husband's like, oh, 
okay, yeah, I'll take that. <laughs> so, what about the cats? Did you end up with cats still? No, uh, we oh. don't have pets, unfortunately. Our only pet is our seven, almost eight-year-old. Uh, we have a, a daughter who's older. She's 11, almost 12. But definitely our son is still our pet. We're waiting for him to uh, be a little more mature so we can have a pet. Because right now we're just cleaning up, uh, cleaning up after him. So that's what's funny. We always say, yeah, Lorenzo is our pet. And then uh, Marissa would be responsible enough to have a dog or a cat. But uh, as soon as Lorenzo uh, can uh, just do the basic uh, chores that uh, we assign to him, maybe we can add a pet to his uh, portfolio right now because he's been asking for a cat or a dog. He loves animals. But I'm like, until you can brush your teeth without us telling you to, maybe you'll be responsible enough to uh, uh, feed the dog and, you know, take care of a dog or a cat. So that's the plan right now. (laughs) (laughs) What would you say are some specific things a translator can watch out for? One of the things that I appreciate about the information that you give out is that you're very specific in giving examples of roadblocks that you've come across or challenges that others may come across. And um, you not only bring these to light, but you also offer resources and or solutions what have been some specific roadblocks that you've come across that you can say, hey, guys, been there, done that? Or, you know, how about trying this? Or here's some things to consider. Any recommendations? Okay, that's pretty good. Um, if I didn't have the one teacher back in college who was also a translator to tell me, hey, this is possible, you can be a translator full time, I maybe wouldn't be here. I'll probably be still balancing translation with something else. So when I look back on that uh, experience of him teaching me how translation can be a full-time job, I always think about how I can help other people, other translators, um, avoid any headaches. Because if I didn't have that kind of piece of advice back then, um, over 20 years late, uh, 20 years ago, I wouldn't be here. So how can I help other people to just um, avoid any headaches? And I think that the main thing that I tell, especially my students or even um, beginner, beginner translators that talk to me, is make sure you think of yourself as a business owner. And when you put yourself in that position, you just you avoid so much headache from then on out because if you just see yourself as a freelancer who depends on other people to get your next project and to uh, keep working, uh, you, be, you put yourself in a very vulnerable position. So once you think about this is my job, this is my company, even if you don't have a, a business name or you know all the the paperwork, if you don't make it official yet, if that's your choice, different countries have different rules. So it's not something that uh, we can apply to everybody. But just having the mindset of how this is my business, I have to take care of my business. I think that's the first thing that a lot of people have to take that initial step and um, take a look at the big picture. So um, I would say that one thing to avoid is that just falling into that trap of sitting there and waiting for other people to do stuff for you and then take the initiative and, uh, you know, just 
make decisions that will further your career and make you be seen as a professional instead of just, oh, someone that can come in, help us out, and you're gone. And when I put myself in that position as a business representing a business and uh, representing other people that work with me that really changed because other companies, our clients just come to us and say, oh, I know that I can count on you to help us. Uh, You're just an asset that really helps our business instead of just, oh, you're a freelancer, but there's no uh, relationship between the two of us. You're just one among many. And when you put yourself as a business that can help other businesses, that really makes a difference. Yeah, I really like that. Think of yourselves as a business owner. And you know, this can apply whether you're a freelancer or a solopreneur or an employee of an organization. Because I think what oftentimes happens is that when you become an employee of an organization and are there for a long period of time, or you have a client that's been your client for years, we become pretty complacent in thinking the work is going to come right? Mm -hmm. And then what happens is that we end up leaving the value of our work or even worse, our own self-value in the hands of others. Because what happens is we may begin to feel that our work isn't valued. And then come the negative emotions towards either the organization or the people that we work for, or perhaps even the job itself. Yeah. But if like you just said, if we think of ourselves as business owners, then the dynamic changes. We look to further develop ourselves. We take pride and are careful with how we interact with our quote unquote stakeholders. So that's awesome piece of advice. And it goes hand in hand with something that I heard or read recently that said, stop thinking of yourself like an employee and start thinking of yourself as a company of one, offering your quote unquote clients the best service that you can provide. And I just thought that was the best piece of advice I had heard. And here you are repeating it. So it's confirmation. It's good advice, guys. (laughs) Rafa, what other supports or resources are available that you would like to share with others? Anything that maybe you've come across that you've thought, you know, I wish others knew about this. Is there anything that comes to mind? Uh, I can't pinpoint something specifically, but the general concept would be technology. Um, I just think about when I started back in 97, (laughs) it's a long time ago. Um, I actually uh, just talked about on my podcast of how technology has changed so much in my lifetime. Uh, if you compare it to other generations, I mean, my parents definitely saw a big change in technology through their lifetime, but it's something that came later on. It's not something that caught them when they were kids and teenagers, which is my case. When I was a kid, when I was a teenager, so much changed. And I just bring that into, into my profession into my activity because without technology we can't improve ourselves so I can't really tell you one thing in particular use this and things will get better but I can say use technology so keep yourself uh, updated on what's going on and how it can help you from you know better email and marketing online to um better uh, productivity with CAD tools and uh, machine translation if you're into uh, an industry that allows you to do that. Um, It's just 
people just have to stop fighting technology and really embrace it and see how they can become more productive as translators and interpreters uh, to just further their career. That's definitely one thing they have to really constantly remember. Absolutely. Particularly in the times that we find ourselves currently in, this piece of advice is so timely because in the words of Bill Wood, right? Interpreters are not going to get replaced by technology. They're going to be replaced by interpreters who use technology. And currently what we're seeing is the need for this ability to be able to manipulate different pieces of technology that perhaps if we were not in this situation before, we didn't think of it. But had we been considering ourselves business owners, perhaps we would have been thinking ahead. So being able to dabble in technology every now and then may help you to get by in situations like the ones that we're currently in. And then on the flip side to that, I'm willing to bet that those of you who didn't consider themselves so tech savvy suddenly found themselves in a position basically forced to learn new platforms. And guess what? You learned them and you're doing okay, but you were basically forced to do it, right? So yes, I agree, Rafa. Get comfortable with technology because it is here to stay. Definitely. Mm -hmm. Talk to us, Rafa, about any new or future projects you're working on. You just mentioned something that uh, we, we hadn't touched on earlier on the many different hats you wear, which is aside from everything else you do, you're also a podcaster. Talk to us about any future projects. What are you currently working on and, you know, that you'd like to share? Yes. Um well, right now, projects that I'm working on include two books that I'm kind of balancing with uh, my day job of translating technical stuff. Oh, um, That's right. Yes. So uh, I, I'm working with two nonfiction books that are completely different. One is a sci-fi fantasy kind of young readers uh, oriented. And the other one is it's fiction, but also some elements of nonfiction and memoirs of uh, a woman from Angola. So completely different moods. So uh, that's what I'm working on right now. A part-time fantasy author for uh, young adult readers and part-time um, um, going through the struggles of this uh, woman uh, raising kids and being a wife uh, in Angola. So uh, both uh, from Portuguese to English. What is the inspiration that, behind this? Um, well, actually, I'm translating them. So uh, the authors contacted me. And uh, yeah, so it was just funny how was the timing of how I lined up because um, I don't remember translating two books uh, at the same time. But the two authors that contacted me, the Angolan author had actually contacted me a year ago. And then uh, we finally settled everything this year. And then the other one came along from a recommendation from a, a friend. Uh, another translator that translates from English. So uh, when she was approached to translate something into English, she's like, oh, no, just go to Hafa because she can do that. So I just got these two books that um, I'm currently translating. And uh, it's funny to just live in those two worlds for a bit, you know, maybe two hours a day each to make a little bit of a progress on each of them to make to the deadline. So that's what I'm currently working on. And um, on top of that, I just finished a series from Spanish to English. Um, I can 
give details because of the NDA, but it's a sci-fi dystopian future in Spain. So it was uh, something that uh, was funny to live for a couple of hours into that world, then move on to the sci-fi fantasy with a, a young adult and then go to Angola. So that's what's going to be going on in my head right now. It's really weird. But apart from that, I mean, when I take my breaks from working, um, I, I do more work, which is the, the podcast. I'm, I've always, you know, had this journalist so, so that's pretty much what I've been trying to do. Um, I can't write much. I don't have much time to write anymore. But being a, a podcaster helped me just uh, tap into that. And it's mostly just, it's called Translation Confessional. And it's exactly that. It's just confessing. It's just talking about things that I've been going through these uh, 23 years and just reminiscing about, you know, one of the latest uh, episodes was about technology, like I said, um, what changed all two decades that I've been working as a translator and I talk about learning languages and I talk about difficult clients. So um, that's um, what's been going on right now. <laughs> yeah. Just to name a few things. <laughs> yes. From being wife and mom, uh, podcaster, exactly. author, because you also have a uh, technology uh, written uh, books, correct? Yes, I have a book called Tools and Technology in Translation, which came out in 2014, and that's because of my class. My class that I started teaching at UCSD Extension, the very first one 10 years ago, was Tools and Technology in Translation. So uh, just observing the students, just like I did back then when I was watching my English learners, I observing the students these past three, 10 years, I just saw so much of technology that they started to incorporate because that's the one thing that I always talk about using technology. So tools and technology and translation for them is just to make them use technology to their advantage. And four years teaching that class in 2014, I decided to put everything into a book, not just to help them through the class, which is a um, completely online 10 weeks through UCSD extension, but also to help other people that may not be able to take the class and want to learn more. So the book went out because of that. And uh, I've, I'm working on a Brazilian version because a lot of people have been asking me, oh, since you're from Brazil, how come you don't have a Brazilian version? So I'm working <laughs> on that right now. Uh, it's funny because living in two languages, that's what happens. Like my Facebook, my personal Facebook profile has to be bilingual because if I don't post something in English and only in Portuguese, some people complain, so my, my friends here. <laughs> yeah, I don't understand what you're saying. And then if I just put everything in English, my parents complain, I don't know what you're talking about. So it's just living in this, uh, you know, bilingual world I can get away from. So uh, I, I'll, I will have a Brazilian version of my book, hopefully by the end of the year. We did a, a limited edition uh, copy in Brazil. So uh, it was only paperback and uh, very few copies uh, were um, were out. It was limited. So uh, I only got to see it two years ago when a translator from Brazil was at the ATA conference and she brought her copy for me to sign. So it was just pure joy to see, you know, my Brazilian baby uh, in front of me because I don't have a copy. It was just, you know, very limited for uh, people in Brazil. So I'm trying to just do that now and just have a, a, a copy available that would be on Amazon and then have an ebook as well. So that's uh, another thing that is going on that 
hopefully I'll get done by the end of the year. But But you are the embodiment of the be all that you can be slow. (laughs) And I want to thank you for the opportunity to be able to sit down and have a conversation with you and have you share your story. But before we go anywhere, uh, Mm -hmm. please tell our listeners where we can find out more about you and about the work that you do. Okay. Well, definitely hafalombardino.com, which is R-A-F-A Lombardino. I know it's a long name. .com. That's where I put all my classes, the books that I'm translating, my book, and everything about my professional life. That's definitely where you can go. And um, you can also find me on all social media that I can uh, handle. So uh, I always tell even my students, I'm really open to a dialogue. You don't have to, you know, be scared. I'm very approachable. Want to send me a, an email, a message? I'm here. So uh, whatever you can find me, just make sure that you uh, keep in touch. And uh, I, I love sitting down and talking about translation. It is something that, you know, I, like I said, I, I don't see myself doing anything else. I don't think I I know how to do anything else. So whenever people want to talk about translation, that's something that uh, really uh, makes me happy. Absolutely. And I'll make sure to include uh, the links to uh, your social media handles uh, in the episode notes. And um, yes, Rafa does teach at uh, UCSD Extension. So uh, look for her and her courses on there as well. Uh, There's so much to learn and classes right now online are so much fun. I mean, I think so. (laughs) And uh, easily accessible. So once again, Rafa, thank you so very much for the opportunity to sit and talk to you. It's quite early in the morning for us. And um, and it was still nonetheless a pleasure to be able to uh, chat with you. So thank you for having taken the time away from your super busy schedule and squeezing me in. Oh, thank you. It's a pleasure. This is the best way to uh, start the day. Yeah. Just uh, now that we're done with wrapping it up, we can start the day with more energy. More energy. Thank you once again, Rafa. Thank you. Take care. So, what did today's episode inspire in you? Have you perhaps been hesitating in learning something new for fear that you won't get it? Have you been thinking about incorporating something new into your business plan or your work environment, but you haven't done so because you feel you lack the training or education or that others won't like it? The step doesn't have to be enormous, but we do have to take that first step. I wish I could tell you all the things that have happened the moment I stepped outside my comfort zone. I mean, well, I suppose I could tell you, but I'll save that for another time. But had I stayed within my own limited beliefs, this podcast wouldn't exist. You know what book actually talks about breaking things down into smaller pieces to create a whole? No, not your math book, not your elementary math book. No, didn't mean to cause any PTSD in anyone. It's called Atomic Habits by James Clear. Let me know if you've read it and what you've taken from it. Anyway, that wraps up today's episode. I hope to hear from you on social media. Look for me on Instagram and LinkedIn where I'm most active and continue to send me your accomplishments. I love to read them. However small you think they are, guaranteed they're one step closer than you were before. If you're listening to this on Apple Podcasts, I'd appreciate a rating. I really would. If you're on a different platform and can't leave a rating, 
Share your favorite episode with a colleague. All right. Thanks again for joining me. And remember, tell your story. Brand the interpreter. Till next time, guys. Take care. Bye-bye.